0: Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am in the house of my high school band director, Terry Rush, and um, he was kind enough to allow me to come over and talk to him a little bit about about his career, uh, his life in general. And um, he's a big influence on me as a musician, and as a person, uh, to see the kind of leadership he showed when I was in high school, uh, didn't necessarily, <laughs> hit I guess when I was that age but um, I'm starting to understand how I can learn from it now so I thought it'd be really cool for people to hear um, just kind of the life and what uh, brought a person to have the amount of success that he had uh, as a band director here in Lincoln Nebraska so thank you for being on the show today Mr. Rush. It's my pleasure I appreciate this happening. (laughs) I'm gonna do my best to call you Terry, but I'll probably call you Mr. Rush for the whole interview.
1: (laughs) Most do, most do, seems like.
0: Uh, So as with many of these interviews, I think the best place to start is just kind of where you were born, where you grew up, how you got involved with music, um,
1: and then we'll go from there. Okay, well, I was born here in Lincoln, uh, basically all of my life except for two years uh, in waverly nebraska which is about five miles east of lincoln my dad bought a small acreage out there um then we moved back to lincoln uh what would have been the second half of my first grade year at uh, havelock grade school uh, and havelock is a suburb of lincoln and uh uh I, it seemed like uh the folks never played a lot of music in the house. My sister did some singing. She had a pretty good voice, older sister. And, uh, but what music I was attracted to when it came on the radio was swing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that just grabbed me more than uh, the pop music at that time. And then uh, I would hear the likes of uh, Tommy Dorsey and uh, Glenn Miller and, Jackie Teagarden and all those those great trombone players from the swing era, and beyond. And uh, I think that's what kind of led me to uh, start on the trombone at in fifth grade at at Havelock Grade School. Uh, Dick, uh, yeah, Dick Kuchera was uh, my grade school uh, band director at that time. Uh, he was a saxophonist, uh, and uh, but I, like I say, I just uh, caught on to that. I just I just love, to this day, I love the sound of a trombone, whether it's in jazz or classical. Yeah. It just it's just stays, stays with me.
0: I think it's one of the most dynamic instruments, especially in the brass family. I mean, each brass instrument has its own kind of unique voice, but I feel the trombone can get incredibly soft, incredibly quiet. You know, when a trombone choir will play together, it's oh, some yeah. of the best sounds, you know, the blend, the best blend. And Uh, I would agree, yeah, it's a really nice, I can see how you might be attracted to the sound, especially from that era. Yes, Yeah, just beautiful sounds from those guys too. Um, Did you take lessons right off the bat or? No,
1: uh, when I, early, late junior high, or I guess it was in high school, because actually for a portion of uh, junior high, then junior high, uh, I played tuba. Wow. I, I had a good time with that. And when I went into high school, I just thought that, well, I wanted to play more notes than the tuba. So I got <laughs> back on the trombone and uh, I took lessons from a chap who ended up being a, a successful band director in Iowa. And uh, then I kind of got out of the lesson thing and just kind of survived sure, sure. F- from, from there on and uh, uh, kept listening to other trombone players and trying to copy what they did.
0: Yeah, so you kind of took the recordings and. Listen to that and said, "I want to sound like that." And right, as, right, And do you feel, uh, I guess, not in place of lessons, but that was as a very valid way for you to progress?
1: Yeah. And at the time, you know, you mentioned a little bit ago about uh, not understanding some things in high school, and uh, <laughs> I think we all go through that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, in, in looking back, it would have been a, a benefit for me to uh, once Steve moved to Iowa to become a band director. He graduated from Wesleyan University uh it, it would have been a, a good thing for me to move on to somebody else. But, uh, you know, busy being a crazy teenager. Sure, sure. And uh, <laughs> just list, listening and uh, keep playing. And, uh, you know, back then high school was 10 through 12. And by, uh, well, my, my sophomore year, I think I was sitting second chair in the first. And my junior, senior year, I sat first. Okay. And so you felt
0: like you're doing pretty well without yeah, the lessons yeah, probably. Yeah, 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 that
1: was uh, an, another early mistake. Sure,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, but I think it's pretty, so here in Lincoln, was it, what high school did you go to? Lincoln Northeast. Lincoln Northeast. So um, it I, I felt a similar thing being here in Lincoln is that it being a relatively small town compared yeah. to a Chicago or a New York uh, and sitting first and second chair for a lot of my time in high school uh, you you know you think you're doing pretty well I exactly. suppose you know because it's your perspective it's all you know right um, but then to move on and, and and to see a little bit bigger world and realizing oh I, I have some work to do yeah. <laughs> to get where I'm gonna go uh, but I think it's pretty natural especially being in a, a like I said a relatively <coughs> relatively smaller town like Lincoln so yeah. it makes sense yeah. Um, so you were in Lincoln High, and then uh, what was the experience? I mean, you were sitting first chair. So was it a? It must have been a good experience for you. Did you? Like- uh,
1: it was okay. Uh, the high school band back then was not as uh, not as active as they are now. We didn't do the uh, elaborate shows. We didn't march for competition. Uh, the director never took us to any real contests of any kind uh we didn't even really have at that time the the lincoln all city band contest festival which it evolved into eventually so it was just kind of we were just kind of in our little corner of anatevka there <laughs> and uh that that's where life was yeah you know yeah. We, there was really nothing else to compare Then I, I did play in a rock band uh in high school played some keyboards uh thought very well but i played keyboards and uh well, it was actually a quite busy band. I made some pretty good money in high school oh, cool. do, doing that and working at a gas station. Nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah. I did. I did some rock band, but like I say, it's just that uh, the, the sound of the the swing era still still stayed with me. I didn't get into the classical thing until I got more into college. Sure. And that's when that bug really bit me.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, kind of if your high school experience was, like you said, okay, um, it would, then when, you just answered the question, but when you would have decided this was the thing that it was gonna be, you know, because I feel like everybody has to have some sort of moment when you're gonna, if you're gonna play music or do music or teach music for a career, you kind of have to decide, this is the thing I'm gonna do because I feel like it's a pretty hard road to a certain extent. Um, So you would say that's around college for you?
1: Yeah, I'd had, I went, I bought a few things, you know, like, you know, the, the standard, the 1812 overture and such like that. But what, and I, it was probably my sophomore year, maybe in college, when I heard the Janicek Sinfonietta. And that just absolutely blew me away. A uh, fellow trombone player introduced that to me. And uh, that, that just made me say, that's what I want to do that's i i want to i want to play music like that and uh, interesting yeah it's
0: an it's an epic piece for oh, sure oh it is
1: it is it so is. how
0: did that change how did that change your approach to maybe practicing or your mentality did you become more serious like almost in an instant oh, yeah,
1: a lot a lot more serious yeah. and uh that's when uh I started taking uh, my, my lessons more seriously with the, then the professor at the University, Vernon Forbes. And this same other trombone player uh, also got linked up with Frank Crisofulli, mm-hmm. who was the second trombonist for the Chicago Symphony at that time. And uh, I got his phone number and uh, got a hold of Mr. Crisofulli and... Uh, once a month, sometimes twice a month I would I would leave on a Friday if we didn't have a home game because I was in the marching band a lot of it until I graduated from college. but I, I would once or twice a month I would drive to Chicago, I had a friend that lived about three or four houses from him. Wow uh, yeah and I would uh, crash in his apartment and uh, Mr. Chris Philly had a house just literally down the street and all of my lessons were in his living room. And uh, I was so blessed that he would we he and I hit it off and uh, he would get me into concerts uh, and uh, when I go in the summer, I would hang for a week or so and he would put on a workshop for a week or whatever like that, and he would take me out to ravinia there there's CSO's summer home, yeah, and I heard some phenomenal rehearsals, just you know rehearsals and concerts you know, in Symphony Hall and Ravinia and such like that. And I just had some amazing times with with, with Frank Crucifilli that I, I, I still cherish to this day.
0: I'm not trying to date you, but about what year would this have been? Uh,
1: I think I started lessons with him about 73. And I carried on that uh, commute uh, until probably... 79, 80, 81. Wow. And, uh, and after graduating from university, just like a lot of college kids do, you think you've got it. I was in the Omaha Symphony, and Lincoln Symphony, Omaha Opera. And I thought, you know, between that, I I had what I needed to to do once again, young person's mistake, is he offered me a, a graduate assistantship at Northwestern. And I felt that, you know, and I was married at the time, and my wife then had a very secure job. And I didn't know if I wanted to leave for two years or have her quit her job and pack up, you know, I was really sad on the fence and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess, but uh, uh, probably another thing that I probably should have taken. But then again, where would that have taken me? Yeah. You know, I Maybe not have ended up at the, the high schools that I've taught at and students like you yeah, that I've, yeah. I've had such great experiences with.
0: I mean, I'm interested in this in general. This idea of what coulda, shoulda, woulda, yeah, you know, who and who I, knows? I interviewed uh, my uh, Barbara Butler, my graduate school teacher, and she has a similar kind of thing. She thought she was gonna be one thing, right? right? She thought she's, I'm gonna be principal trumpet of some major orchestra or something like that. That's what she thought she was supposed to be. That didn't work out, and now she's taught so many amazing people, right? and affected so many people's lives in probably a much different way than if she just was playing in an orchestra. Oh
1: yeah, you're you're much more isolated. You know, I know so many of them do have studios but you know, when I would I would see 300 kids a day. Yeah. And that I mean we could just jump into it right now. This is
0: something I wanted to talk about. We should just jump in 12 minutes and 30 seconds in uh, that's a lot of responsibility, I, I feel. Being a parent now, when you give your children to an institution who has your children almost more than you do, right? You oh, yeah, almost yeah, see yeah. them. There's a lot of responsibility on you're essentially a third parent and you know, something like music, something like playing in an ensemble. You're constantly getting this thing of effort. And they're putting forth effort. students are, and then they either sound great or maybe it doesn't go well. And so you're constantly dealing with this idea of like success and failure and trying to build these people up to play their best. And so you kind of get to deal with some of these more serious kind of life-changing ideas much sooner than I think in math class. If you fail a test, obviously that's still a big deal, but you're dealing with that once every like five weeks, but you could be dealing with... That kind of idea on a daily basis, I feel. Well,
1: like. I've always said, you know, gosh, you know you you walk into a band room and you're there for fifty to sixty minutes being corrected and altered the entire time. Yeah, where any other class, anything like that, rarely, if ever, happens. You know, you listen to the teacher, give the 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 talk of the day. Uh, you get your homework assignment. You hand in your the uh, homework from the day before. Da 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 da. But there isn't this this constant adjustments, this thrust and parry that's going on the entire rehearsal. And um, you know, in it, 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 what I'm doing now with between the Lincoln Municipal Band and the Lincoln Symphony, you know that's still my life. And as an assistant director of the Lincoln Youth Symphony, again there I am doing that same thing. So I've been on the receiving and the the giving and the the receiving and the giving end of both. And I think that's what's made a big difference in the way I approach things.
0: So where do you find, what's the balance between you finding a way to communicate the information in a way that meets the students so you're not being quote harsh or something like that and just being able to communicate the information in a way and expecting them to be able to
1: handle it? Well, I've been under some not polite conductors in my career. And that led me to treat my students as professionals and not do my best to not talk down to them and try to let them realize what they're capable of, whether they know it or not. And... Uh, Again, it comes back to my experiences uh, playing shows back in, uh, you know, when I first got out of college, I didn't teach for five years. Uh, Lincoln Symphony, Omaha Symphony, and, and uh, there was an organization in Omaha where Vegas stars would come in and they'd play in this auditorium for a week. And I had the opportunity to do that for about five years or so. And uh, some of those stars were just what you saw on on films and TV and so forth. And some of them were not. I mean, I could drop some names that would just surprise you mm. what real jerks they really were. Wow, wow. <laughs> and uh, and I just, you know, and uh, I just decided, you know, I, I can't uh, treat people that way. I didn't like to be treated that way, so I, I don't want to treat other people that way. And... uh so like I say I, I tried to to work with my students as as you would a professional sure
0: I think the other sort of component I suppose in being a I guess let's just say a great band director there's many other you know adjectives you could say, but let's just say great for the sake of moving on and Good. that would be sort of trust in the person as a musical authority now when you're in high school, it's different because people are so musically, not uh, I guess they haven't progressed musically to a right, point where right. they're even gonna have their major, their own opinions. Maybe you get like every once in a while, someone who has progressed, but typically they're reliant on you 100%, as opposed to when you get into a professional orchestra, you know, like the stuff that you're doing with the the symphony and, and the municipal band where you're dealing with professionals right. where they're gonna have their own ideas. And so how do you approach being a sense of authority on the podium that someone trusts, I should listen to this person because I trust whatever reasons that you right. may just say, what, what allows you to feel that kind of confidence?
1: Well, I guess when, when I'm on the podium, my passion comes out. Um, when I do clinic bands, I, I have the opportunity to go out and do uh, area honor bands, clinic bands and such like that. And, um, I just, I I guess I get real passionate and the kids pick, the kids can pick up on that. Uh, uh, Even though they're young, they can still sense whether you want to be there or not. And that you're buying into them. And I think that's, that's the first bridge to cross is that I'm buying into these kids. And, you know, we have a little talk at, at the beginning and, of expectations and so forth, like that, and uh, uh, and then I just I just roll from there, and uh, you know, and the kids always come up to me afterwards and say, "What a great time they had!" And that's just like a one or two day event. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's uh, I just exude <laughs> the passion that I have for making music, and I want them, uh, if I might say, I just, you know, some of the things that I didn't have. In my pre-college era, that you know what a difference it would have made, perhaps in me, had I had someone that was really passionate about teaching. Sure. In 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 the instrumental music room.
0: Do you think that not having that is why you know why you have why you feel the way you feel to give
1: back? Oh yeah, what? it's most definitely. I I I knew that from the minute I stepped in a classroom. Mm-hmm. That uh, I. Uh, wanted them to experience and enjoy the things that that really I didn't, was not able to do because of the situation that was there at the time.
0: But it's interesting that you would know it right out of the gate, you know, that you would almost yeah, then... It, yeah. So is it a situation where you're semi-thankful for not having that then because you had that thought process? <laughs> yeah, or? you
1: know, I, yeah, I, I see exactly what you're saying. And again, it's like, you know, had I taken that... Uh, graduate assistantship in Northwestern had I had an exciting band director that took his places did things with us and uh, pushed us and so on and so forth what what, what would that have done you know right. you, that's one of those things yeah. you just don't know but I know that what I didn't have is what fueled my passion once I, once I turned into into the uh, the world of education. Yeah, I just I think it's I and, just, I th- and, I think, and I and I think and and I think back to probably the biggest growth of passion was my college band director Jack Snyder. And throughout the decades he and I came became so close. He was you know in that era of the authoritative directors, you know, the Rivellis and people like that uh but yet, there was a passion with Jack that once you got through Jack's crustiness, <laughs> and uh, that that really has to this day has has stuck with me. And so, I I guess if I'm anybody, I'm, I'm Jack Snyder. Sure, but I wouldn't consider
0: you to have a a crusty side, right? Yeah. It's actually something that I now that I'm in sort of this stage of my life, it's something that I really look back and I admire that you seem to be a person, even in front of students who potentially are going to take it in whatever way that you seem to be very open and vulnerable with how you're feeling, right? You seem to wear your heart on your sleeve. But again, like students are going to think what students are going to think, but it doesn't seem to stop you from being the person that will bridge that gap first, yeah. do you feel that that is just how you are, or is it something you've developed over time as a way to connect I think, with yeah i
1: yeah, I think that that's who I, yeah I, I do carry carry things on my sleeve to a, a, a good or bad extent i guess <laughs> and uh, uh and I do you know with, with music uh you know like my my love for the chicago cubs and uh like last night's game, you know, they had it and all of a sudden a certain pitcher came out and just gave away a bunch of runs. And I'm like, oh, ah, you know. So, yeah, I was just wearing that on my sleeve. And I, that's, that's, that's who and what I am. Yeah. And uh, 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 I'm not afraid to show my passion. I'm really not.
0: So as someone who wears your heart on your sleeve, do you feel, kind of going back to the the second half of the question I just asked, do you feel this is relatively essential in uh, connecting with students uh, to break down relative barriers that they may have as individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, I assume to my knowledge and to my experience, the adult being the one that bridges that gap first is somewhat necessary, especially when you don't know them. So do you feel that even if someone is not someone who wears their heart on their sleeve that much that they might have to try to embrace being more open and vulnerable with students? Or do you think it's possible to connect with them without
1: doing that kind of thing? Uh, probably, depends on the individual. Uh, You know, yeah, I I know some directors that probably, I could say 100% do not have that, wear their passion on their sleeves, as we spoke about earlier. But, you know, but they have very successful programs. And... Uh, you know, the, and, and the kids recognize the success. And I guess their, how can I say this? Their uh, recognition of that success does draw them to the director. But I would, I would guess, not being a psychologist, uh, that it would draw them in a different manner than perhaps what the kids draw to me. Not saying that one is right and one is wrong. It's just a different a different drift. I mean, I can, I can name a director that I know that was very successful. Uh, and the, to this, I know people that are, are in their 50s or 60s because he's older than me that are, are think, you know, this guy walks on water and he was very good. But I know that he's just not one of those that has a lot of compassion and, and deals from the heart and if, if that makes sense. It does, it
0: does. So the second one, or maybe it's the first one you described where the success of the program might draw somebody that requires the clout of the success, no, exactly, right? So you yeah. have to have the success before people will buy into it. Right. So do you feel if someone's new walking in and they don't have an amount of success that will draw like if it's a new program or right. maybe they're rocking into a, a tough situation that maybe their way to connect with students that aren't gonna come there just for the success is then that connection, that sort of that vulnerability?
1: Yeah, if I follow what you're saying, uh, you know, like, so if a director, are you saying if, it's, if a director would follow, say f- followed me in, in one of my former programs, is that what you're saying? Or No,
0: no, sorry, the other way around. Say okay. that they've inherited a program that's ah. that's like not doing well Okay, for whatever reason, right? And then they inherit this tough situation where there's not a lot of people in the program, or maybe there's a lot of people, but they're not performing well, was, a certain way. Yeah, I
1: was I was fortunate when I, my my first job, my first high school, uh, was a private Catholic school, and a, a director had been there for decades and was a very dictatorial kind of person, and uh, very regimental, militaristic, and so forth like that. They had success success, and everyone liked him. Then he retired. They brought in another guy that basically just destroyed the program in the first two weeks. (laughs) That's uh, impressive. Oh yeah, yeah, just (laughs) literally destroyed. And uh, I heard stories from friends who had, had judged that band at District Music Contest the following spring. Where the band crashed three times, and he was yelling and screaming at them on oh the my podium gosh. Wow. Uh, at district music contest. So when I walked in, I mean, it was just like, "Yeah, whoever you are, we want you." <laughs> yeah, and uh, that that helped. That that helped because, like I said, I hadn't I hadn't taught. Uh, I was five years of uh, of being symphony work on the road, and so on and so forth. So this was all new to me. So what brought you
0: to applying for that job and wanting well, that some, job? Some, uh,
1: a lot of the things that I was doing uh, were dying. You know, the mm-hmm. uh, A lot of those stars that you know from the 50s, 60s, and 70s were either retiring or passing away. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that was drying up. Uh, I had a confrontation with the then, at that time, Omaha Symphony director, and that didn't go well, so I left and... Uh, uh, I'm going, geez, what do I do now? And uh, a fellow musician that taught in that private school system said, well, they're looking for a high school band director. They fired the one that they had just hired. So I thought, well, I'll try this for a while. And now 40 years later, here I am.
0: I think it's just very cool that you were down one path you were performing all the time and you had not done much teaching or especially at the high school level, but you weren't thinking to yourself, "Ah, that's not something I do. You were like, I guess I'll try this. And just the idea that just because we aren't necessarily good at something, or we might say to ourselves, why don't do that shouldn't stop us from saying, well, I can learn, I can try to figure it out. Because as you're an example, that is how I know you. I know that you perform, but to me, you're a music educator. You right. know what I mean. I don't. I, I mean, like I said, it's interesting to me that you would have d- dove in just because you were unsure of what was next, but that ended up being a path. You know, for maybe you. had
1: I been single, <laughs> but you know, at the time I was married, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, my wife had a was making more money than me at the time. I mean, I was doing okay. Um, you know, had I been single, here's another one of those what ifs that we had talked about earlier in other instances. Uh, maybe I would have moved someplace else or or, or whatever. But uh, I felt that, well, I have a responsibility. And so I'm going to try this and see where this takes me. Yeah.
0: When you were starting at... at-
1: I think it was Pius, Pius right? Pius yeah. the tenth.
0: When you were starting at Pius, did you ever feel a pull away from it to try to, to no. try to go back no, to it? No, because
1: a- I, I really, I really enjoy the kids of that age, the high school age. Yeah, they've got some squirreliness and so forth, and still trying to find out who and what they are and so forth like that. But I, I felt like I could still communicate with them. And, 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 and so on and so forth, and have a trust in them and them have a trust in me. And uh, after I retired from teaching, I, and I was fortunate enough to do some, uh, two different semesters at Doan, Doan University, and the same thing, again, that I, a level that I can communicate, and I feel like I'm very comfortable with that, with that age yeah. of young people.
0: This is going to be a relatively deep question, I suppose. Okay. But what do you feel your responsibility is in helping them develop through this period of them maybe not knowing who they are? Do you feel like you have a responsibility or do you feel I'm just going to teach them about music? Maybe they'll learn some stuff about life. You know, Do you feel like there's a way for you to be in there or is that just not your responsibility?
1: Well, no, I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I spoke earlier of Jack Snyder, uh, everyone in his bands would have walked off the face of the earth for Jack. And a lot of that rubbed, you know, the, 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 he, was, he was, up until the day he passed away, an incredible role model. And he would never admit that, but that instilled in me uh, how I needed to approach life and working with with young people that uh and it's it's different because you know you may it's rare that a student will in high school will have the same teacher for three now four years right yeah so there's a relationship there that you may never have maybe outside of a coach you know if you're Mm -hmm. football basketball track whatever uh but But even with that, you may be with the football coach during football season, and may not have quite that continuous relationship. You know, you may move on to swimming, right? Uh, But you're 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 stuck with us the entire way through, and so I think that's that's an easier way to to or, or not easier way, but. Uh, I think it just it leads leads a path to forming a different kind of relationship. Our children are in the Waldorf school.
0: I don't know if you know about this system of education, but they have the same teacher from first to eighth grade, right? And they grow together and and stuff. But just as a music teacher would, and then obviously when you go on to college, if you have private lessons, I think this is even a bigger opportunity for a person to have an impact because it's one on one. Uh, But it's this thing of opportunity of learning what a strengths and weaknesses (laughs) of a person that a student that they have. And then hopefully being able to, do you feel like you try to give opportunities to these students that may need performing opportunities to help them grow into being more
1: out there? uh, You you know uh My high school band director never told us about Allstate. And then, the first year I started teaching, I saw that this individual was the president of the State Music Association the year of my senior year, but we never knew about Allstate. Oh, weird. <coughs> and I just thought, I can't... wow, how could this have happened? And here I am sitting first trombone for two, well, literally three years in that 10 through 12 school, and... Not once was that brought up. It didn't come to me and go, "You know, you might want to try this." And if you remember back in high school, I approached a lot of kids to yeah. do this. yeah, I do. And so you know the the in the different universe college college and university honor bands around the state, and so forth like that. and uh, so yeah, then that's that's I, I just felt that that was an obligation that I had to have,
0: yeah. I remember for me, those experiences were quite formative. Actually, to to get around a group of people that were, you know, everybody cared, everybody loved it, everybody dug it, and it's like a couple of days you're away. It just just music, full of music. I I remember that Well, it
1: comes back to what we talked about earlier. That you know, I'm sitting there at first and at at, at, uh, at at Northeast High School, and I'm the king of the world. But then you go out to these honor bands where there's some other kick butt, high school musicians, yeah, and you find out how you how you do right, right. And you probably found out I can't remember how how you sat exactly, but you may be first chair at this one, but then all of a sudden you're second chair at the next yeah. one, and but you're, you're you know you're still in there with some amazing high school musicians and going, there's another world out sure, there.
0: Sure, sure, yeah. I was I only made all state orchestra my I all state in general, my senior year.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was third chair in the orchestra. Right. And I remember thinking, you know, I should be first chair, you know, or oh, whatever yeah. I was oh, thinking yeah. at the time. But it was good for me to be third chair and to realize, oh, there's like other good players. You know exactly. what I mean? It, yeah. It's this weird thing. You get into this bubble where you're exposed to the same people and the same stimulus year after year after yep. year. And so you see yourself progressing up the ranks of what you know. And you think, oh, I'm doing pretty good within my own band program, right? So right. it's all, it's very important, I think, for especially kids that are, ex, are excelling within the program to have a bit of a um, perspective, I suppose is the best way to say. It. It's not good or bad, just to see what else is out there and hopefully to inspire and motivate you to keep going, you
1: know? And I think that's what drove me to be, I don't wanna use the word competitive, but to have a band that went out and, competed marching wise all the different contests our concert bands you know we went literally coast to coast to different festivals and contests and like that and um uh, and I tried to push myself and the kids to go you know just don't play let's just not go on the stage play and then evaporate Let's go hear what other programs yeah, are. Yeah. And if we hear a band that, that was better than us, what could we do to reach that level? If we're better than that band, don't cut them down. Do not cut them down. And if I and if I hear you doing it, you're gonna hear from <laughs> Mr. Grumpy here. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> because we don't know what their situation is. Is it a new director? It's just, you know, da-da-da-da. And so but I was. it was good for me and it was good for the kids to see that, again, there's another world out there. Because yeah, yeah we were at the top of the heap for many, many years at Lincoln High within our own environment, environment here in, in Lincoln. But I just felt it was also important for us, myself, and the kids to go out to Colorado, Kansas, California, uh, and Iowa, and so forth, uh, Florida, to Illinois, to, to compare ourselves to others. And are we really doing the job that we think we are doing or are we capable of doing?
0: And I think there's many opportunities within that, just in what you just said about, you know, don't cut them down. If a band sounds really great or if a band does not sound as good as you do or whatever right. to be supportive. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just basically life lessons, right? You can teach how they to worked, be- They
1: worked hard too. Yeah, you know? yeah,
0: exactly. And one of the lessons, it's burned into me forever. And I say it all the time as a parent now, but like one person can ruin it for everybody. This lesson of yeah. you're a part of a group, just, just like learning all sorts of stuff like that, that you might not have the opportunity to do. Uh, without traveling, without being a part of a group, realizing that, yeah, they see the uniform and you're Lincoln High, you're not Ryan Beach. Yeah, did this thing that was stupid, it was that kid from Lincoln High, and you ruin it for everybody. Well, and that's, if you, yeah.
1: you're 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 bringing you're bringing back the speech that I gave many times right. when, when we did travel, right? Yeah, you know, if you were wearing a band jacket or or whatever, or you were in uniform, it's just exactly what you said that that, uh. It wasn't Ryan Beach. It was Lincoln High. Yeah.
0: I think that's just it's just good life lessons in general, you know, things that can be brought about by being as part of an ensemble and band and bring it all the way back to then what the responsibility that the band director can have in helping right. these kids develop. I think it, it's very far reaching. As you said... Almost, if you treat them like professionals, it can be very far-reaching. If you don't necessarily coddle them, you say these are the expectations. Yeah. This is what you need to do. There will be consequences if not. And I just, I just find it very interesting that uh, there's so much influence that someone who's not their parent can have yeah. for good, generally speaking. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I find that it, it, I admired a lot that you have taken that so seriously for so long, right? It's not like one class, you're like, I I really like this class. It's like every time a class comes in, they get the same amount of vulnerability, openness, and expectation from you. And I imagine, and maybe you could comment on this, I imagine to a greater extent, that's why your band programs have succeeded, not only because you've had great musicians, but because you have musicians that get it and that care.
1: Well, and I, I felt I was, I developed, good leadership within within my programs and that because i know there were other bands in lincoln where like the incoming sophomores and then eventually when they we became ninth nine 12 high, high schools but you know there there was this uh uh fraternity mentality that you haze yeah the kids coming in and not welcome them um uh, You know, another role model, my dear friend, Dr. Tim Lutzenheiser. Uh, To this day, even though I'm not uh, in the classroom daily when he comes to uh, Millard South High School in Omaha, uh, I go up and I sit there and I I still learn from Tim. And like I say, when I do honor bands or when I have an opportunity to help out down at Doan or when I'm with the Lincoln Youth Symphony, uh, you know, I, I I feel Tim Lutzenheiser speaking to me, and and I'll I'll call him on the phone or I'll email him and say, you know, uh, I I was you today, and you know we'll have this another amazing conversation. That's and very so, cool. Yeah, yeah, and so through that through uh, through his leadership workshops, between his words and my words, I developed really good leaders in my programs that welcomed the new kids in. I mean god my, my own kids yeah. grew up with both parents being band directors mm-hmm. but yet they were terrified day one of band camp. Absolutely terrified. And I'm going my god my own kids are that terrified what about kids that have did grow up in, in the, the surroundings right, that they did. Yeah yeah. And so that that really threw me in, into we've got to welcome these kids and treat them with respect. And you know, one of the things that that Tim instills every year is that you know uh, he, he would have he would have the, the auditory, kids full auditorium full of kids, and he go, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think of that one person when you first walked into that band room. That you went, I want to follow that person. I want to be like that person. And. And he, he'll go, and pretty soon, someone's gonna be looking at you. Yeah. Going, I wanna be that person. And that's a pretty heavy responsibility is, for a high is. school kid <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to take on. And I I think back, I kind of had a little of that in, in high school, but I had major league that in college. Mm-hmm. The, the leadership that Jack had developed, particularly in the Cornhusker marching band. And so, and just just things like that That you know, you even though you're a student, yeah, I talked about me being a role model, but you as a student, you too are a role model. Well, and this is,
0: I'm sure you remember this, this is like forever etched in my mind. But uh, there was, I was not, I had leadership potential when I was younger, but I was not, it took me a little while to figure out even what that meant, right. I think I just didn't care. I didn't really, but I still had the ability to get people to do the things that I was doing. And I remember I was probably, I had heard these rumors that you were, you were talking behind the scenes and, uh, not badly, just saying like, you know, this kid, Ryan, like he thinks he's got it, you know, or whatever. And then there was one day in jazz band, I was sitting in a in a, in the, in a wrong row or something like that. Right. And you were like, I need to talk to you right now. I don't even think that in of itself was a big deal, <laughs> but I'm sure it was just like the cherry on the top of the whole thing, right? right. You brought me into your office. And I will remember this forever because I just think it's a great example of, like what actual leadership is. You didn't try to cut me down. Right. You explained to me first that I have leadership capabilities and I get people to follow what I'm doing. And then you said, you just happen to be leading people in the wrong direction right now, right. you know? And I, I mean, it really spoke to me that you spoke to me with respect. Right. It really meant a lot to, to me. And I've had a few band directors, Dr. Thompson at, yeah. at Northwestern was the same way. I, there was this thing that was happening and i was being you know a leader in an incorrect kind of yeah. fashion again and uh, i found out about it through the use of she just respected me and she wanted to figure out how to get it to right. be resolved and um I, that just like i said that'll stick with me f- i think forever right. you know and 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 then like you said, that meaning that meaning that much to me, that's the kind of leader I then want to be right, right, for right. other people. And so I, I think, it, and then I do that and then somebody else does it for somebody else. And you can see, uh, especially when you're dealing with, you know, 50, 60 kids every year, if you are that kind of role model, how far, if they go out and do the same kind of things right. because of how they felt about your leadership, how far one person's sort of attitude can actually affect the world, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's pretty definitely, incredible.
1: Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, like I say, it gets back to the the two people that have probably led me to that direction. Well, three, you know, uh, three or four, I guess. <laughs> I keep thinking about, you know, the role models that I've had. But, you know, Jack and uh, Tim Lessenhiser and uh, Frank Christofoli and uh, Vernon Forbes, my trombone professor at the UNL. And, uh, you know, they were just really really good role model a person you could, you wanted to look up to, you wanted to look up to.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of responsibility though, you know, to, to not that to take on that, to actively do that and say, I'm gonna do this. It is, I wonder if that's gonna be picked up. That's hard to say. The clock just went off, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway uh it's it, but it is a lot it's a responsibility for you to say i'm going to take that on right, right. I'm gonna be a person that sh- that is going to act in such a way that i could be looked at as a role model
1: yeah but I don't and feel like I, I don't feel like i really ever really said that i, I guess it just became something i i did yeah. it became who and what i am I, I i don't think i really you know woke up one morning and s- said here's what I'm gonna do yeah and it just from all all these things that have melded into my life is is the direction I took uh, the 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 people that I admired and respected, and the people that I worked with that I didn't admire and respect. and uh, it's it's like you know uh, conducting uh, I, I, I I think I'm a pretty good person with a baton, and it's a matter of watching other conductors. Sure. And it's just like you know, uh, that the, the Frank Christopheroli always worked into me the, the the concept of sound, and so, you know that I listened to those Chicago Symphony recordings in the old days with Christopheroli and Jacobs and Herseth and all those. That that incredible orchestra it was. Oh my God! That's what 50s, I was asking. 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's why I was asking about the time frame. Like you heard that oh, group. Oh yeah, I yeah. heard that group. I I lived with that group. You know, I'm so jealous. And uh, to to hear that brass section and that that's just instilled in my mind uh, that that sound that they had. And I know uh, the the other one of the other trombonists in the symphony also studied with Frank, but Frank wasn't playing at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I'd, I also I'd, I feel so so blessed that all the opportunities he gave me—not not just play during lessons, but to get me into the rehearsals and the concerts and and, and so forth like that—to hear, I'm I'm going to say it—the sound, and yeah. I, I don't think that sound will ever be repeated. Yeah, no, it's
0: it was. What's crazy to me about that sound is they didn't have a model. They just did they it. They just did it. Now, for me, that's a model, right? I listen yep. to that and I go, okay, I could try to sound like that. But how did they do that without well, somebody
1: telling them how to do you it? You know, it's like I listened, to, uh, you know, I have Sirius Radio in my car and I spent a lot of time bouncing back, for to the classical channel and the swing channel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I listen to these great swing bands of the 30s, 40s. And I'm going, they, this is what you just said. They didn't have role models. Yeah. You know they did not. They just did it, and you really listen to what they're playing, whether they're playing the printed note or they're improvising. It's like holy crap, these guys. Yeah, they did it, and the same thing with Chicago, and they worked. You know, they they experimented around. They played different horns. Uh, the, the, the 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 trombone section. You know, they they did back and forth between Holton and the Schmidt, the German Schmidt horns. And, you know, t- until they got to the sound that they wanted, uh, Jacobs, uh, I, s- did s- I was able to, to also work with Arnold Jacobs, and, you know, he told me about, uh, you know, Reiner did not like his sound at first, and he kept bringing in his different tubas, and finally he got so uh, frustrated, he brought in the tuba he started with, and Reiner stops the orchestra and goes... Mr. Jacobs, that's the one I want. Right. <laughs> you know? Conductors, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so,
1: so you know, but uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they did, they worked on their sound and sure. they, they had a concept, and I think uh, that's why my groups sounded like they did because I too had a concept of right. sound in my mind what I wanted to come out of the kids and balance, tuning, and all of that. That I just I just had that a a sound in my mind what I wanted my ensembles to sound like.
0: So we're gonna take a little bit of a left turn here. Go for it. it's still in the same area though. Um, I'm gonna use myself an exa- as an example because I've had ample opportunity for reflection in the past however many years. And what is your strategy when you get a kid like me who's clearly got a fair amount of potential, but mm-hmm. like there's so much to be done on the on the side of like taking it seriously. And I mean, I played well enough that I felt like it didn't matter, you know what I mean? I knew I could just do it because there's other people that were working for it. And then there was like me who just kind of was like, whatever, I can do it. And so what's your strategy? I mean, like, do you have a strategy? Are you just kind of shooting from the hip, give it from situation to situation? Or do you have sort of an approach with a kid that has talent, but needs to get it together?
1: Yeah, well, you were then as you are now. A really, 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 really fine musician, Ryan. And uh, I knew that, you know, some of the kids that have the natural ability that that you had, have. uh, And yeah, you didn't have to work your way up through the trenches as uh, other kids have had to to do. And so... uh, that gives you uh, you and other kids, not just you, other kids that have, I've worked with, uh, a different mindset when they're sitting in that in that first chair. Uh, and but I knew in there there's a good kid, and that's why when I drug you or any other kid into the office, I rarely blew up. Because all that would do would be to piss you off. Yeah. And get, go on the defensive. And uh, and it's like dealing with parents, student parents. What they don't understand is I have to think of the kids. They think of the kid. Kid, singular, yeah. And so I have to think of the band Not just Ryan or Matt or Ben or whoever. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to make this conglomerate of personalities work together to become a a single unit. Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's like pouring sand in in through a screen. (laughs) And uh, but I just, I guess, from my mother's Irish, I'm stubborn enough that I just never gave up.
0: Yeah. I I just remember, I remember you as, as that, that's a great way to describe it. You just stubborn, right? You you would talk about it when you would describe things that were happening in the school system around you. Right. And you would talk about it when talking about, um, you know, like other stories that maybe we would have heard. Um, and it just is interesting to me. I'm trying to like piece it all together, right. you know what I mean? I'm trying right. to piece it all together of what it was like to see you stand up there. And we just got the sense that you cared about us a lot. I did. Like we were the, but that we were of the utmost like importance. It wasn't like we have all these other things and then you guys are there. It's like, we felt, I felt like I had an advocate basically right. in you, you know? And, and as I've been a teacher, I find that to be among the most important things that I try to communicate mm-hmm. to a student is that above all else, like you have an advocate, you have Somebody that will stand up for you, like that's not necessarily not part of the system, right? Right. But that it's they get you and they want you to succeed, and that they'll push you and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, they're there for you, and that's like something I remember very vividly um, from being in band with you. Right. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, I think it. I think
1: it does. I think it does. And uh, you know, in in that in that school, you know, we, we had such a diverse community in that school and some of the stories that kids would come to me about their family life just uh, appalling I I mean you know uh, I didn't have the dreamiest life growing up with my parents Uh, mom was my role model dad not so much Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just it just it gave me a different perspective that, that it maybe it was not as bad as i thought it was at the time because sure. every every kid thinks their house you know in their teen years think their parents are a bunch of you know, schmucks <laughs> but uh can't wait for that yeah but uh, <laughs> uh uh you know some of the some of the horrendous things kids brought to me just broke my heart and gave me a passion for for being there for the kids yeah and uh you know there were so many instances that you know, thank you for bringing me into your life, but this is something I can't deal with and to find different routes for them to go to to, to get some help. Interesting, yeah.
0: I, I mean, it's just getting into sort of the nitty gritty of how tough it can be because oh, yeah. obviously you wanna be there and you wanna, you wanna help, but ultimately, yeah, like there are limits to what a band director can oh, do yeah. for a person, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine that's very difficult. And being right in the middle of it, especially for someone like you who cares and wears their heart on their sleeve to hear these heartbreaking stories and have to say,
1: I can't, that's got to be very heartbreaking.
0: It, it is. It yeah. is. And,
1: you know, you try and follow up to see where everything ended up. And uh, sometimes it was a, it created a better situation. And sometimes it just didn't. Yeah. There was just nothing that could be done because that parent was not a good parent, not a good person.
0: Yeah. it's And like when you're a high school student, you don't get that, right? You just see like these people around you, you have no idea what they're going through oh, or yeah. how oh, different yeah. their life is. Oh, yeah. And so just being oblivious to all of that stuff. And then, yeah, I, I just, I'm gaining a new appreciation for how tough it can be to be um, just a leader of anything in general and, oh, yeah. and, j- and oh, yeah. juggling all those things. And so that's kind of partially why I wanted to interview you is it just seems like not that you've got it all figured out, right? I would imagine <laughs> you don't feel <laughs> no. like you've got it all figured no. out, but that you seem to have a way of doing it. That is true and honest to who you are as right. a person. And I imagine for most leaders, the most effective version of them being a leader is just being genuine.
1: Yeah. You have, you have to be, you, 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 uh, the guy I work with uh, with the Lincoln Youth Symphony, Clark Potter. I remember Clark. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. what a what a beautiful beautiful person. And one of his things that I've kind of picked up on too is when you get me, you get me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means that you know you're you're being honest. You're not. Uh it's like I spoke about earlier, you know, when I was working with some of the Vegas stars and Hollywood, people from Hollywood, sits like that, and backing up backing them up in, in, in their, their acts, that. Uh, you people would just be utterly amazed what that individual was when they're not on the stage. Yeah. And how they mistreated everybody. I mean, just... And in some instances, it was like their life's goal to mistreat people. Gosh. But yet, as soon as they step on that stage, there's 10,000 people in that building cheering and screaming. That's what you saw. Right. On stage or in the movies.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more risk to be vulnerable and be you, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Yeah. it is, it is, yeah. And and one thing I'm learning, and I would like for you, if you have any thoughts on this to speak about it, but one thing I'm learning is, especially with kids who don't know any better, right? Generally Mm. speaking, I mean, kids know, especially in high school, they'll know like right and wrong and that kind of stuff, but they haven't got their stuff figured out, you know? So they may be doing things, but they don't know why they're doing it. And so when you're trying to approach helping people like that, like in being open and honest and expecting things from them, like you really have to have your own stuff together and figured out and being able to at least understand it to the point where you're not bringing it with you to those kinds, does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think,
1: uh, again, I revert back to Dr. Tim Lutzenheiser. He was on a committee, oh gosh, time gets by when you're having fun, but probably, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago where they figured out that the right frontal lobe in male and female isn't developed until they're 27 years old. And that's the part of the brain that says, I should not do this. Here's here here can be the consequences if if my act if I if I go ahead with this act. These are the consequences that I could suffer from or others could suffer from. Now you just you you said something just a minute ago that yeah, the kid knows they should not do this. But there's that draw of it's going to be fun, uh, the peers draw you into it, and so on and so forth. And so there's that draw that that part of the brain is not developed to go, Man, I'm not going to do this.
0: That's much later than I thought it would have been. Oh
1: no! Yeah, every, everyone thinks it's like 21 or 22. My my oldest son, a Rhodes Scholar, Presidential Scholar, and all this. He's you know 22, 23 years old, and I'm going. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know you got your shoes on backwards man what's what's <laughs> what are you what are you doing yeah and then about 26 and a half it was like where's ben and what did you do with him All right interesting it was just like literally overnight wow and uh yeah tim tim was a part of that study and it's it has really exploded and is and so what that gave me once he explained that to me and I, I did more reading and research on it, was that now I know why this kid is doing what they're doing and why mm-hmm. and why they are doing it or why they are not doing it. And so then I have to come up with a with a plan, a route to counteract what is or is not going on. Yeah, interesting.
0: yeah. Yeah, I think that understand, I have this belief that understanding of something allows you to have compassion for the thing, right? right? So if you, even if someone wrongs you, if they sort of give you some sort of explanation and you go like, I guess I don't agree with what you did, but I can understand right. why you did it. There might be more compassion in forgiving that person. And I think that's essential when dealing with things that don't make any sense, you know, is to start to understand why something might be happening. So you can at least rationalize and approach it from, with a clear head, because I feel like when we don't understand it, we get frustrated. That's when, and I think, especially as a leader uh, or as a parent, especially uh, making sure that you're not showing them anything that is not what you want them to do. Right. So if you, if they're upset, if you then get upset that they're upset, and you start, you know, yelling or something like that, then you're just showing them that's how you should handle exactly that yeah. thing. And so it's—I I, imagine—it's very tough to do that for you know, decades and decades of kids that are yeah. all over the map in terms of where they're at, of understanding of how
1: things work. Oh yeah, because each kid brings their own baggage. Yeah. yeah. Into the into that room, and so you got to—you have to sort, <laughs> literally sort things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to
0: take a, again, another okay. left turn here because yeah. um, I don't wanna forget about this. I wanna touch touch on this. Um, you t- you talked about speaking with Dr. Tim, that's how we knew him, you know? Right. Uh, and that y- you you go to his uh, classes and you still feel like you're learning. Um, how important do you feel like lifelong learning? I mean, I'm imagining you're gonna say very important, yeah. but I'd like you to kind of touch on, you know, maybe ways, not that you have the ability to look back, to touch on ways that you feel like maybe deficiencies you had when you were young and you first mm-hmm. started, and sort of what you learned along, if that makes sense. It doesn't right. have to be super in depth, but. Um, I agree that we should constantly be pushing ourselves to learn things because we don't know what those things will teach us, of course. But it just, it made me think about that when you're talking about Dr. Tim and how you go to his class and you're still learning, Right. even at this stage. So I imagine you've probably learned a lot after a lifetime of learning. So what kinds of things do you feel like were most paramount for you to learn as you were going through, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, uh, well, Well, like I said earlier, I've I've been under instances where either the people I was working for or the conductors I've been under and such like that were not nice people. And I just, you know, I just did my life. I didn't want to be that way. You know, I'm not going to go into depth about my dad, but I just, I've lived my life to not be like my dad. He was not a nice person. And then I also... Felt that I was never above a situation where I couldn't learn from somebody, and like I said, you know, when I watch conductors, uh, when I listen to other trombone players, uh, or just individuals, how how they act, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's that's kind of guided my life of. Uh, just there's, there's two categories in my life the people that i felt were not nice people and the people that were good people and i tried everything i could in my life to not be the bad people that that don't treat people well right yeah and uh and so yeah and you know yeah you're you're constantly learning um uh, you're you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. I remember a clinic that Joe Lessey was giving, and some young kid uh, raises their hand and just says, "Wow, well, Mister Lessee, how is it that you know that uh, you've completely mastered the trombone?" And Joe just kind of looked at him and goes, "I'm not even close to mastering the trombone." <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and that, and, that, and I I knew he was going to say that. You know, I knew exactly what he was gonna say because I've I've met him and I mean we're not like friends. I've not I've never had the relationship with him but that I've had with Frank. But you know, we've bumped into each other on occasion. So sure, sure. and I I I I just know that he's he too is is at least that I've been around, uh, a humble person and another person that likes to give. Yeah, yeah. I've never met him. Yeah. And you, you know, you go to his website and it's give, give, give. You know everything's there. Anything's there for you to take from f- from him. Yeah. And there's other. And that's another thing. that has been a, a transition. Uh, uh, I, I can remember. Uh, oh God, I can't remember. I can't remember what it was, but I remember a situation where uh, a clarinet player was having trouble with their reed, and his ho- flutin orchestral musician said, "Well, well, give me your reed." And rather than going, "Now watch what I do." How I trimmed this down, turned these back to the guy, trimmed it, and handed it back to him. Says, "Now your reed will work." Wow! Yeah, and that's the way it used to be. Everyone had their little secrets, and they were not going to give it out.
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's completely
1: different now. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm glad, and and even through this podcast, I mean, there's other music podcasts out there, so I'm not saying I'm the only one, but even through this podcast. Through some of my online presence. I'm trying to take it as much in that direction as possible. Of more information, I believe, is a good thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm not devaluing what I'm doing with this podcast by giving it away for free. I just think like this is something that people should have access to, mm. regardless of economic whatever or mm. you know. They, this is like this is stuff that people should know. People should have. People should be able to listen to you and the other people that I've interviewed right. speak about things that matter to them. So that we can all learn and we can all be better. It just makes everybody better, right? When we have information. And I just, yeah.
1: Well, I don't know if you remember in high school with my private students, you know, I'll tell them, you know, as a musician, you have to be a thief. You have to steal everything you can from anybody you can. Yeah. And if you were in any other career, you'd be in prison for life. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's what we do. You know, uh, like I say, when I listen to other trombones, experience them or... Conductors or ensembles and whatever like that, you know. And I'm going or when I judge, and uh, I started judging while I was still teaching. I would go, "Oh man, I need to be, I need to to do what this this individual's doing with his or her band," and uh, or I'm going, "Oh, hopefully I'm not doing that with my band." Yeah. And so and so that's that's what we do. We steal like crazy.
0: Well, and just the attitude that I've known about you, but I'm really getting through this interview is the idea of you're constantly reflecting on what you should or should not be doing and how you could possibly grow and yeah. making sure you're not having actions that that would not represent you the way you wanted to be represented. Um, and I think that's just an important thing in general as a human being, mm. not just as a human being, right? We can look at growth and say, what kinds of actions am I taking as an instrumentalist? Mm. We can say, are the things I'm doing that are hurting me? Uh, are there things that I could be doing that would benefit me? And just constantly this self-reflection, assuming that, oh, if I don't have it all figured out, where could I possibly go from here? Where
1: can I get the answer?
0: Yeah, I think that's super important. And, and I mean, you're as good of a, a, an example, I suppose, as anybody, as you've talked about that for most of... Uh, for most of the interview. And it's just really nice to be, to hear, to be reminded that (laughs) that's like, those kinds of qualities are what will lead someone to having a full career of success. I don't think just, I mean, getting lucky certainly is part of it, right? But as we know, if if our life could have gone in any direction, given what potential choices we could or could not have made, then there's gotta be something we can hang on to as like a, I don't know what's gonna happen, but as long as I head forward in this direction, with this kind of thought process, like I can make it, I right. can be okay. And it sounds like what, I, what I'm what i gathering from all of this is constant reflection and just trying to do, trying to be honest and genuine with who you are and who you wanna be seems like a yeah. good place to start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good summary, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I did pretty well there. You did, you did, you <laughs> really did. You're impressive. Yeah, I just. Toot my own horn. It's there my you podcast. Go. There I can you do go. whatever You can do whatever, I whatever you want. Say whatever you want. <laughs> so uh, I think we just, I would like to, to know, did you always program... Uh, big things, you know, I remember we played a lot of stuff. We right. played Symphonic Metamorphosis. That was the one thing that really stuck out to me, but I know oh, you said yeah. you played the Pines of Rome band yeah. arrangement at one point in Lincoln High, and we played a lot of really great music for marching band and in jazz band. I remember we played like the Ellington series, right. the Essentially Ellington or whatever right. the Lincoln right. Center came yeah. out with. And um, did you, I mean, was it important to you to progr- always program as real and as serious and potentially big of rep as possible, or well, is that something that came along as the programs got better? Well,
1: yeah, as as it as it got better, uh, we we're you know able to to step up the level of of music. But I always kept in the back of my mind. Uh, well, I can remember when Ed Polichick, the current conductor of Lincoln Symphony, I think this is going to be his twenty first season. Um, I didn't really know him at the time; he was he was new. And it was our first concert with him. And I was impressed with him, as I still am. I still learn from Ed. And uh, as we were walking off stage in of intermission, I, kinda, I literally grabbed him by the scruff of his collar, <laughs> and I dragged him back out on the stage, and I said, Ed, look at this audience. He kind of stares out at the audience. He goes, yeah, in five years, those people are going to be gone. He goes, "Oh my God, you're right." I said, "So now you know what your job is." And he's done it. He and was responsive to that. He, oh I feel yeah, like. I don't knew, feel like I he, could do that. He knew immediately <laughs> what I was talking well, about. Well, I just mean yeah, what if And say? that if that orchestra is, was going to exist, we're going to have to dig deeper into the community. To. To bring in new new people. Right. Right. And uh. I knew throughout my career that, if anything, that I I want to expose you kids to music other than what you probably, not not to do away with what you were listening to, but to expand what you're listening to. And that someday you might buy a symphony ticket. Yeah or you might donate to the Lincoln Municipal Band or if you move away you'll go hear the CSO you'll go hear LA you'll go hear New York Phil yeah and or and, and support the community or you know you know you you worked your butt off to, to be a professional musician and play perform with a professional orchestra but not everyone is that's not their aim but I've got kids on all these community bands around town I I've, I've got students in them yeah And like the other night at Monday Night Big Band, uh, I had five former students in the big band and one working the bar and another one sitting in the audience. (laughs) Okay? That's got to be pretty surreal at that point, you know? It is. And they were from different eras, from different schools. Yeah. And so I I feel that that's, that's part of what I need to do is to that there's another world out there of music and enjoyment and to to support that so that we're that, you know music doesn't have to come from a DJ. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, like through through college I played with a lot of the the dance bands around town. Of the eight or ten dance bands that were around at that time when I was in college in the early seventies, there's one left now. Wow. The rest of them are all gone. Yeah. They're all gone.
0: That's just not obviously valued to the same degree anymore,
1: and uh, so you know that's that's and and I've got you know you're not the only student. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but you're not the only student of mine that has gone on to a professional career, or teaching music at a college, at a university level, or performing with right, right. With, with professional ensembles. Uh, and so, and like I say, I've got kids that are performing with community bands and such like that. Uh, I see them at concerts. I look out for the municipal band. I, I see half a dozen, 10 of my formers out in the audience every Sunday.
0: Yeah, and this goes all the way back to kind of the beginning of the conversation where just the idea of the impact you can have as an educator uh, is, is it can be far-reaching. And then, yeah. you know, you've been around this the same community long enough now that Um, you can kind of see the fruits of some of that labor in like the love that people still have of music. I feel like that's gotta be, uh, it's it's incredible. And a lot of people I feel like would need to see the final result or at least some of the final result to really justify pushing that hard. But it's inspiring to me that you just did it with the hope that it would work. And then that was the end, right? Like you didn't (laughs) know if people were gonna end up loving music, but to see that there are a a lot of your former students that are, it's still a part of their lives, Uh, whether they're professionals or they're a community band, or they just enjoy going, that's that's gotta be very cool. And like I say, almost surreal then to see like have former students like playing with you and being able to interact with them on a collegial level. Like this is like the coolest part for me. I've said this to you before, but uh, the coolest part for me about coming back to playing with a municipal band is that you guys it's like uh, your colleagues now. You right. guys were all my musical heroes when I grew up. And now I get to share the stage with you. Right. I think I'm even playing in the band uh, on Sunday. Cool. I'm playing the solo, but I think Dean saved some third parts for me, I think. Cool, yeah. Yeah, and that's just, that's that's kind of like a dream in a lot of uh-huh. ways to be able to come back and be able to like interact with you guys on a completely different level right. and and that's and it's just i don't know i i imagine that's just one person to one person so for you to have that potentially with so many people it's got to be very and gratifying it's,
1: yeah, it's, it's fun it's fun it's fun with me you know and uh you know that monday night big they, they even announced it that all these kids are my students here and there <laughs> scattered around the around the building i'm like oh thanks you know yeah that's so cool though to me um
0: The last thing I usually do on these interviews, it feels like a good place to wrap this up if you're comfortable with that. Yeah. The last thing I do, I should have told you this ahead of time, but you seem like a guy who's probably thought about this before. Uh, We hear these ideas that classical music is dying. You even talked about it with Ed about how we got to get this audience, you know. Um, My question to you is why do you think it's relevant to our culture still today? and how much you've said that things have changed and these dance bands have gone away. Well, is it still relevant? If it is still relevant, in what way do you feel like music, especially classical music, but now we could talk from dance bands and that kind of music. Why do you feel like it still can be or should be relevant
1: to our culture now? Think about the countries, and hopefully I don't get in trouble. I I did at one place when I mentioned this, but other places it was accepted. But think about the cultures that our country is having trouble with today. And have you heard of their symphony orchestras? They don't exist. And I know in Iraq, Baghdad, uh, they didn't have a symphony orchestra for years because the regime thought it was evil. And now it's, they're, they're coming back and start, starting to survive again and become a valid ensemble. But, but think about, you know, the countries that we're having issues with, however you want to mentally approach those issues. But, you know, if you think back, they don't have that music. They've got their folk music, which is fun, and such like that, that they've had for millenniums. But the the, 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 the the classical music has been around, well, for a millennium, and it has thrived. And that's what bothers me when the upper crust want to cut money to the arts is because what John Doe on the street... I mean, it's such a minuscule part of the national budget. I mean, it's literally a drop, of, a, a bucket out of Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seriously. But through that, the money that goes back into our country from the arts is just, it's, 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 it's Mount Everest right. of finances back into the communities through this minuscule support.
0: So you're saying even from a fiscal sense, it, it's relevant. Not yeah. even from like the connective yeah. cultural aspect, but even from a fiscal and, sense, and, we and should. With,
1: it. And, without, and without jazz, America's art form, without classical music, it's, it scares me what kind of a culture we would become without our symphony orchestras, without our, our concert bands, Uh, you know, in the military, the, the, the incredible, you know, the DC bands, again, they're one jet would pay for 50 of those bands. It would, yeah. And people say, well, they're, you know, they're not carrying rifles. The, the, the community support that those organizations give to the nation and and to the men and women who are serving when they're out serving them is just, there, there's nothing that can compare what those organizations give back Yeah, to everyone. Your local symphony, your local community band, whether it's professional, you know, like, I'm fortunate the Lincoln Municipal Band is a professional band, but there's also two non-professional bands here in town there's a non-professional orchestra here in town and again I'm fortunate enough to be in the professional orchestra here yeah. in town and and but what you know and they the Lincoln Symphony supports a lot of the immigrants they'll give hundreds of tickets to immigrants to come hear the symphony I didn't know that oh yeah and there's and and they're they're just especially the family concerts yeah they're a good part of the audience on comp tickets. Thanks, thanks to some of the donors, uh, the businesses that donate, uh, that they can come and hear the Lincoln Symphony. And uh, so, yeah, it's just it's just a multitude of things that the, the, the symphonies, the concert bands, the jazz bands, and so forth can give back to this country and keep us the culture that we're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting take on it. I mean, lots of people have commented on the sort of the connective sort of soul healing part of what oh, we yeah. do. But yeah, even making a case for, cause I've read articles that talk about that. I, when I was in Indianapolis, I read an article about how much money the Indianapolis symphony was generating right. through its concerts. And like you said, it was like at least two, if not like three times the amount of money that it, that it was. Cause people would go to restaurants around there yep. or like parking or like hiring people to, you know, it, it, it's like the local area around it benefits greatly. And then oh, yeah. especially in Lincoln, I interviewed Dean for one of my podcast episodes right. about a freelance career. And I just had no idea the amount of stuff that Arts Incorporated oh, provides. Yeah. And, and then so a community like Lincoln yeah, has that, so that, many he opportunities. He and that organization
1: have kept so much music alive in this community.
0: And, wow. and it's just, and low cost, you know? Yeah. The Lincoln Municipal Band is free to attend. Yeah, And I just, yeah, I think it's, It's incredible because it's something that almost we potentially take for granted, right? And then once it's gone, we're like, oh, like I kind of missed that thing, you know? It's like that
1: old 60s tune, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Sure,
0: sure. So I, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting question to ask people to see kind of where they're at with right. what music not only means to them, but what they think it can mean to our culture and how we can, you know, how people can listen to these episodes, hear these answers, ponder on it, right. and potentially start making cases for uh, you know, why it matters. Because I yeah. think it does. I, I think it matters as well. Um, I tend to lean towards the soul healing part of it, you know. It's oh, yeah. this place where we can go and just sit and like forget that other everything exists and sort of be, if you're that open, transported to wherever the com- the composer wants you to be. Right. Especially with the really, like the romantic stuff, right? Like oh, yeah. the Mahlers and the Shostakovichs and Bruckner's the Rachmaninoff. And... Bruckner, oh gosh, Bruckner is one of the right. best examples, really. Oh, yeah. And so we have this opportunity to sort of be transported somewhere else and just, yeah. like, enjoy, you know? And I, I think that's one of my th- go-to uh, things is just, it, it's a place for you to be open and vulnerable to receive this thing that's awesome. But yeah. many people, it's hard for people just to sit and, like, listen without feeling like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what that instrument is. So, like, I don't know enough right. to know. what You know, I, I think it's it, it's something that we can, uh, I don't know, that's just, I like to ask that question. So, I right. appreci- appreciate your answer. Yeah. Um. I think that's gonna be all okay. for this episode. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, I appreciate you, invite, like I said, inviting me into your house and chatting with oh, me. It's, yeah. I, I feel like I learned a lot um, and it's good to get to know these people that I really respect and admire right. uh, on a different level, and be able to ask the questions that I wanna ask. So sure, sure. I appreciate that. Um, you're retired now, right?
1: Well, sort of. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> probably the retired where you're busier than you've ever been, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very busy. Um, well, that's exciting uh, and um, yeah. If anybody needs to get in touch with me they can do so i am on uh, instagram and facebook just search at that's not spit i have a website that's not spit.com uh if you enjoyed this episode my conversation with uh, mr rush here uh, i would really appreciate it if you uh left a review and a rating on itunes that would really help other people find the episodes and enjoy them as well I would also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering these episodes and making them sound so good. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.